Welcome to the Goal In Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Bruss. And today on the show, we have Dr. Callie Estes. G'day, Callie. How are you today? All right, Rob. Let's do this. All right. Hit it. Welcome to the show. We've got something really special for you today. As you'll hear, Dr. Callie has an amazing go all in story and what she's about to share with you and what you're about to learn today, it's not only practical, it's fun, it's pretty deep and you're going to leave this episode feeling a little bit uplifted, you're going to feel grateful and you're even going to feel a little bit enlightened. Now, how many podcast intros let you know you're going to leave feeling an episode like that? Make sure you stick around for this whole interview to receive the full effect of those wonderful emotions. If this is your first time here at the Goal In Show, welcome. It's great to have you here. And if you're back for more, welcome back. We love our repeat offenders here at the Goal In Podcast. Before we get into the show today, just take a little peek at your phone and hit that subscribe button on the app that you're listening in on. And if you're watching this on YouTube, just scroll down a little bit for us and hit that subscribe button. And don't forget to ring the bell. That way you'll always have a little bit of motivation and some Goal In Love right there in your pocket. Lastly, if you like what you hear today, please share this episode with your friends and your family because Kelly has a really important message to share. And if we can help just one person break through their barriers to get unstuck, then we would have done our job on the podcast here today. Alrighty, let's get into this show. Dr. Kelly has over 25 years of experience working with clients that want to unpause their life and unpack their backpack to combat issues and behaviors that keep you stuck in life and ultimately limit your dreams both in your career and your personal life. Dr. Kelly holds a PhD in psychology and life coaching. She has international certifications as a drug and alcohol counselor and holds well over 24 other certifications, including as a personal trainer, a yoga teacher, Pilates teacher, and much, much more. As you'll hear, Kelly combines holistic modalities with talk therapy that gets to the root cause of the issues that you might be experiencing. And she simply helps you to unpause your life. She's a best-selling author, a highly sought after celebrity coach, a keynote speaker. And Callie is the host of the Unpause Your Life podcast. But my favorite part is that she speaks from the heart and with a message that's able to connect with so many people. And in the process, She's changing so many lives for the better. Dr. Kelly, welcome to the Goal In Show. It's great to have you here. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. I am ready to go all in with you. All right. Well, you're talking to the Goal In guy, so it's going to get serious <laughs> and really fast. It's going to happen. You ready? I'm ready. All right. Before we kick it off and get into the show, let's get to know you a little bit beyond your credentials. Why don't you share with us where, where are you from and, and where are you right now? I'm in Miami, Florida in the U.S. I am originally from the Philadelphia area. I lost my accent, unlike you guys who have a beautiful accent. The Philadelphia accent is not exactly beautiful. It's a little hard and a little rude. So I kind of got rid of that and I live in sunny Miami. Very nice, very nice. And what's your background? How did you get into all of this sobriety coaching and all this addiction coaching, all the stuff that you do? How did, how did you get into it? I actually got into it by accident. I wanted to be an FBI agent and I wanted to be, if you've ever seen Silence of the Lambs, I wanted to be Clarice, you know, I wanted to work with the crazy guys. And I ended up doing my internship in a prison and they put me with a mentor in the drug and alcohol sector. And I said, this is going to be boring. And he said, it's not going to be boring. Trust me, it's going to be fascinating. 
And throughout the process, I also learned I was a food addict because back then, eating disorders, you either binge and purge or you restrict it. And I didn't fit either. So they sent me to the fat doctor and the fat doctor put me on diet pills and wham, here I am addicted to diet pills and I fit the definition of an addict. And I had to go through the process of detoxing and learning all about that. And then I said, wait a minute, I kind of feel like these are my people. I kind of get them. (laughs) So I started studying addiction and I switched my major from going, you know, FBI into addiction. And then bam, I went and got my PhD in clinical psychology specifically for addiction and found out that I really enjoyed the population and I was really good at it because I understood it. Did you understand it from a, like a deeply personal level or did you understand the people and understand what they were going through? Is that there's something both. that's connecting, right? Yeah, both. So for me, it was like, this is real. When people say, you know, oh, addiction's not real. I'm like, yes, it is. I get it. And also from a clinical standpoint, I could read this stuff and, and I, I was reading it in my college education. I'm like, this makes sense. And then I could apply it in real life. And then I thought, well, if it worked for me, if it got me off diet pills and it got me off the food problem and I learned how to solve it, I was like, I could do this for other people. And then I started to be in the industry from there. Very nice. So you, you left college, university, and did you go and practice straight away? I know a lot of people finish a degree and get a qualification and never use it, uh, or they dive in and they make a lifelong career out of it. Was it the same for you? I started right away and I was the working poor. I actually started working with homeless prostitutes, like the worst of the worst of the worst, you know, and we didn't have much money. They didn't pay us very well. And we would put in 60 hours a week and I kept doing that and doing that. And I said, you know what? I'm going to take a break. I took a break from the industry and that's when I got my personal training and my yoga and wellness and massage. And I thought I'm going to go this direction. And I realized that industry is not any less crazy than the addiction industry. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go back into the addiction, add the fitness component and the wellness component and go private sector. And then it was much better because now I could pay the rent. Yeah. It's a beautiful um, marriage of those skill sets, the, the formal qualification, the university qualification, and then the practicality of the health and fitness, like the, uh, the deeply spiritual connected world of yoga and that Pilates and stuff, things like that. That must be a beautiful marriage for what it is that you do. It is. And very few people do that. They look at it like, well, it's, you know, it's the body. So it's over here and it's the mind and it's over here and it's spiritual. It's over here. And I was like, wait a minute, if we combine these three, wow, we can fix the problem. So that's what we started doing. Yeah. Did you have stars in your eyes about fixing everybody's problems like that? Cause you can't fix everyone. (laughs) <laughs> no, no. I actually, I, I, in the beginning, I was like, you know what? I started helping other people. And then I thought if I could train people to help other people, I could help more people. Yeah. So then I actually started a school to do that because it was exhausting. You're one person, you know, you can't help everybody, but if you can train people to help other people and that kind of goes down the line, that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's the one thing that I've discovered in this podcasting thing that I do full time. I can only talk to one person on an interview like this and, um, you know, you put it out as a podcast and I've got a really decent audience that goes out to a lot of people. So I amplify it nice and I'm like, how can I reach more people? How can I do more of this? And YouTube was a, a natural progression for me to reach an audience there, but it's very hard and it takes a long time to sort of build on that. But I just kind of think, well, I just keep doing what I'm doing. Just keep chipping away at it. Just keep going at it. And eventually you reach a lot of people and you build an audience. And it's kind of fun, right? 
It is. Look, you found me over in Miami. You reached us over here. <laughs> crazy. 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 Very good. Very good. Well, Kelly, thank you for sharing a little bit of your background. People come on over to the Go All In podcast to learn more about others that have gone all in. So if you could, could you please share with us your biggest Go All In story or stories and the lessons that you've learned from your commitment to success? So for me, it, it's been be, being able to share what I've learned and being able to give back to others is super important. So I always do like a karmic give back. Every month we have a training and we always have one person who can't afford the training. We invite them in for free. They take the training. They get certified as a recovery coach or an interventionist. And we do that every month. So if you have a listener that says, hey, I want to help. I want to give back. I don't have the money to do it. Contact us. We will do that. That's huge for me. I'm always into the pay it forward movement. Very nice, very nice. And is is that something that you, that took a bit of commitment for you to do in business? No. You know, you're like, well, was it always all right? It was easy, was it? It was easy because I've always been like that. I've always been, if you give away what you have, you will always get more. It's when you hold on to it and say, this is mine, I'm not going to share, that it's taken away from you. Mm. So I've always said, if I can't help you, let me at least put you in touch with someone who can, or let me offer something that I can give you to make you happy or something you can do. And then my only requirement is that you pay it for it. So when you meet somebody who can't afford it, you do the exact same thing, whatever that is, whether it's a Starbucks coffee or helping someone cross the street, it can be any type of pay it forward movement. Look at you putting good vibes out there in the universe and raising the level of consciousness of humanity. That's a good thing to do. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing my little bitty part. You just got to do your little bit. That's all that matters, right? If we all do a little bitty bit, it'll make a difference. Tell me about the, the transition from being a clinician and doing it as an employee and working for somebody else. You said you had a break. From, from doing that from practice, then you went into the fitness space, then you came back and joined them all together. Now you're starting a business, you're going into business. That's a big goal and commitment there. And there's so many things to learn and, and so many mistakes that you can make. Was that, was that easy for you or was it a difficult transition? You're going to laugh. So one day I was working for someone else and making you know, a little bit of money, working long hours, and the owner had thrown a notebook at my head. And I said, I've got two words for you. And he goes, what are you going to say? Fuck you. And I said, no, I Close. quit. <laughs> yeah. And he goes, you can't quit. And I said, watch me. And I packed my stuff and I left. And he said, the only reason you can pay your rent is because of me. And I turned around and I said, I can make more money in a week working private practice than I can work in two months working for you. Mm. And he goes, good luck. And I said, watch me. And I came home and I told my husband I quit. And he panicked. He's like, oh, we have $300 in the bank account. We can't pay the rent. What are we going to do? I said, watch. I'm going to put it out to the universe. I will get a client. And I took a stack of business cards down to the LA Fitness and just sat them there. And in 24 hours, I had a guy call me and he said, I want to hire you. And he paid me $2,500, which was almost a full month's pay for one, one client. Yeah. And I walked in and said, I did it. And he just looked at me and I'm like, and I'm just going to keep going. And that was it. Off to the races. So you, 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 a lot of businesses start the other way around. They have these really incredible ideas and they spend a long time getting their ducks in a row. I come, I come from the digital space, right, where I work with startups a lot and people often knock on the door and say, hey, Rob, I've got the, the most incredible world-saving business idea and the best app you've ever seen. And everybody's ideas are incredible. And I have to say, yeah. over the years of working with startups and uh, just working with people like that that are deeply passionate about what they do. I've seen a lot of them lose their shirt in the process mm -hmm. because they overthink the process and they over 
think what it is that they're doing and they create these incredible products and think the market will arrive, but they don't realize that you've got to go get the market first and then marry up your products to it. And there's a really strategic way that you do that, particularly in digital to make it work and ensure your success. Fail fast and fail often and keep going until you find what actually works with your particular product. So you didn't, you didn't do that at all. You just went out there and just went, well, I need a client. I've got to, I've got to go all in literally and, and get one. Absolutely. And for me, it's always been like that. Like when my husband wanted to go on tour, he's a musician. He said, I want to go on tour. I said, okay. And I took a piece of paper and I wrote the amount of money he would make per day and the amount of times, you know, long longevity of going on tour. And I took that and I put it all over the house. And I said, what we're going to do is focus on this and we're going to make it happen. And that's exactly what we did. And literally within two weeks, we got an email from a band that wanted to hire him, fly him to LA, and hit, well, they wanted him to try out against yeah. other people. And he went and he got the job and it was for the exact amount of money on that piece of paper for the exact amount of time. And he looks at me and he goes, how did you do that? And I said, it's all law of creation. You put out there what you want in the universe and as long as it's beneficial to you and other people, you're gonna get what you need. Mm. And that's sort of how I built my entire brand. When people say, oh my God, you added this or added that, I just did it. And to see if it would work. And if it doesn't work, you move to the next sector and try something else and just keep going. I love it. I love it because the lesson in, in it there is just don't overthink things all the time. Just just go for it and, and go all in on it. And before you know it, it'll happen. But there's a couple of key points in there is, is writing it down. For me, really interesting. I came to the end of season two of the Go All In podcast. This is an episode for season three. And I'm going to release a whole bunch of them shortly um, as I kind of I was sort of thinking how I was going to do it differently. Was the formula going to change? And in, and in looking at how I was fixing the format and the way that I was doing the podcast, I looked back at the original uh, goal setting uh, documents that I'd written down and I'd handwritten down all of these people that I wanted to interview when I started. And it wasn't, some of them were specific people like individuals. And at the top of my list was Grant Cardone. Tick, done that. <laughs> Below that was Aaron Claff. Tick, done that. Below that was Matt Hall, Red Bull Air Racing Pilot. Tick, done that. And then down below that, it was like, it's like athletes, professionals, doctors, entrepreneurs, digital guys. And I tick, 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 tick down for a, a hundred and something episodes there. And, and I looked at that and I, I sat at my desk here and I thought, hmm, amazing. You just write it down and you focus your attention on it and don't think about all the reasons why not? Only think about the reasons why you can and why you should. It shows up in your life. It's, you know, the law of attraction like that, whether you believe it or you don't, whether you think that we're all airy fairy on this podcast or not, it doesn't really matter. You know, if you focus your attention on stuff long enough, it shows up in your life. Mm -hmm. And you put the energy and effort behind it. So for you, if you just wrote, I want to interview Grant Cardone, and then you sat back and, you know, popped the ice cream and sat there and waited and said, well, he hasn't come in yet. It's not going to work. But you went out and got the business. You said, I'm going to figure out how to get him on the show. I'll contact him. And if he says, no, I'll keep contacting him until eventually someday he says, boy, he's either really annoying. I'm going to have, I'm going to go on that show or he sees value and goes, I'm going to go on that show. Surprisingly, surprisingly, um, of all the interviews that I've wanted to do with the people that I've wanted to do, it's been like literally two emails. Hi, how I am? My name's Rob. I'd run a podcast called Go In. Wondering if you'd be interested in coming on the show. Sure, sounds awesome. Let's do it. Let's set it up. Then I send them a calendar link, they book, and that's it. That's it. That was super easy. <laughs> don't ask, you don't get, right? That's really <laughs> what it comes down to. Because there's some people asking me recently, how did you get that person? How did you get that person? How did you? I'm like, I just asked. <laughs> there was no secret. I just asked them, and they said yes. So that's pretty yeah. much it, right? And there's a good, good lesson in business there for what you're talking about as well. I love that. 
I love that a lot. But how long was it that you were you were going before you realized that you should have been in private practice much longer than working in those crappy jobs? Since day one. <laughs> I wish that's that's my one regret is that I would have come out of college and went, I'm gone into private practice. Instead no mentors of guiding you? No. In in my industry, it's very difficult. People don't want to mentor you because they're afraid you'll steal their sector of business. Yeah, right. So they say, Well, we're not gonna help you. We're gonna we want you to fail. And the bigger I got, the more haters I got, and the more people that publicly said, I hope you fail, I hope you lose, I hope you can't do this, I hope you know all kinds of stuff. And that's how my first book title came about. I married mm. a junkie. Because mm. one of my haters wrote out there, How good of a clinical psychologist she, could she be if her husband's a junkie? And I went, Oh, what a great book title. Let's take that. Let's run with that. And we did. And he wasn't too happy, but hey, I got a great idea out of it. Well, we're going to get into that shortly because I read that book yesterday and I, I read it in, in one sitting. Just over, I felt like I needed to take a break and I scrolled all the way through the PDF and, and I got it. So I, I felt like I, uh, I felt like I know you a little bit back in the day from those things, which is really kind of <laughs> nice. And, you know, the, the, I think the book title little bit of feedback from, uh, from, from the reader on this side of the Zoom call. The book title, I don't think does it justice. You know, I married a junkie. I sort of think that it's actually, when I look at it as core, it's a love story. <laughs> it, it is. It is. And I, the reason we wanted that title is I also wanted to bring awareness to certain words. And we use the words like addict or junkie in a bad sense. Mm. And I wanted people to say, you know, it really isn't that bad of a term because everybody is a junkie of some sort. There's too much internet or too much shopping or too much Amazon Prime. You're doing something you probably shouldn't be doing that much of. Yeah, very, very true. Very true. I have to say right towards the end, the big tough paratrooper on this side was like, oh, that was really, really <laughs> sweet. It was really kind of touching and it's a, it's a beautiful story. So the book's called I Married a Junkie. And if you just take a little peek at your phone and have a look at the show notes there. The links are going to be right there for you. So you're not going to have to go digging around from, they're going to be right there in the show notes. And if you're watching this on YouTube, just scroll down and they're right there uh, in the show notes as well. So make sure you get a copy of that book and check it out and don't be put off by the title there. Cause it's a really cute little love story in there. I liked it a lot. It was very good. Kelly, tell me a little bit about uh, the academy that you've got set up and, and the work that you do in and around addiction, because that's very, very important. And um, when, you, when you reached out to me and asked to come on the show, I thought, absolutely, like straight away, this is a topic that needs to be covered. I've talked about this a little bit on the show. I've, when I kicked off this podcast, one of the things that I wanted to do was to talk more about PTSD. Um, and one of the tricky things was getting people to actually talk about it. Um, mm -hmm. luckily, lucky enough, I've had a, a couple of people come on and talk about that from a, um, from a clinical perspective, also from a treatment perspective. And I've shared a couple of my stories from a sufferer's perspective, if you like, and it's probably not what you think, but you could look back and have a listen to some of those podcasts if you're listening into this one. Um, and you know, what you're talking about with addiction and doing too much of something, that's a very important topic and prevalent more than ever in our society today. Tell us a little bit about what it is that you do. So I do two different things. I work with people and I coach them to get and stay, you would say sober. So it could be any addiction, drugs, alcohol, sex, porn, shopping, internet, social media, whatever vice is starting to ruin your life. You're spending too much time on something and not on other productive things that's an addiction. So I do that. And I've been doing that so long, people started to ask me how I'm doing it. How did I get there? Could they help without having to go get a four-year or 10-year degree? Mm. And I said, yes. So I created the Addictions Academy 
and we are the largest global school right now. We're in 25 countries for addiction studies. So if you want to be a recovery coach or a sober coach or an interventionist or a counselor, people come to me and we do the whole thing virtual. So we have teachers all over the world and we're accredited everywhere. And you come on, you just take the classes and then you can help people as well. We even help with marketing and networking and all kinds of stuff. So that's been ongoing for eight years for both companies. Very nice. So you do, do you still do coaching yourself? Do you still work with people individually? I do. I do a lot of high profile CEOs. My specialty is the narcissistic self-absorbed asshole. So if you think of like the Donald Trump's kind of, and the guys that are in power, the NFL, the NBA, executives, I work with those guys. They have a lot of money, a lot of freedom, and very little control, shall we say. And I come in and I kind of drop the hammer down and say, we're not going to do that. Here's what we're going to do. And I'm, I'm going to say the bad guy, but I'm kind of the bad guy that comes in and makes them change their behavior. You, you get to play good cop, bad cop, FBI agent after all. I do. And I get to play in, I get to ask questions. And because I read body language, I can put my hands on my hips and go, hmm, you just told a lie, didn't you? And they look at me like, oh, how did you know that? Because I just read everything you just did. All your tells gave you away. Yeah, very nice. Is there a, is there a common theme, you know, you, you jokingly say the narcissistic asshole like that, but is there a common theme amongst those people? Is it because they get to the position that they're in quickly? and they don't grow into where it is that they suddenly find themselves in a, in a role where there's a lot of money and that they don't have any boundaries. There's no kind of left and right of arc that they have to live within or responsibilities that they have, and it just kind of runs off the rails for them. Is there something, a common theme in there? It is, exactly. So there's two different types. We have the person who inherited a lot of money with little rules, a trust fund. They turn 21 or 25 and bam, all of a sudden they have all this money and they don't know what to do with it. And their parents assume, oh, you know, you'll figure it out. And they start just spending and spending and then they're buying drugs and buying cars and it's a mess. Or they made a lot of money and they're self-made and they came from very little. So all of a sudden they have this big bank account and they're going, oh my goodness, I could buy this car and buy this. And next thing you know, it escalates and they're doing cocaine with a stripper and their wife catches them and they swear to God it won't happen again. And then they both call me and I'm supposed to fix the behavior. So one of those two things happens and then I have to come in and kind of say, this is not the direction we want to go because it's not beneficial to what's going on. Mm, and and maybe it's maybe it's a beat up from television or hollywood or the the type of things that we see in the media you're not really helping somebody in a group sense how do i never understood how can you sit around in a circle of people and talk about the most intimate problems that you're suffering from in a 12 step program i mean there's a there's a place for that there's a time and a place for that i don't know i've never been there but it always whenever i see that i always think that gosh i'm i'm hard pressed sharing my deepest, darkest secrets with anybody. And the only time that I ever really talked about my deepest, darkest PTSD secret was on a podcast with somebody else that suffered from PTSD. I'd never spoken to anybody about that before. And I certainly would never sit around a, a group of a dozen other people in a, in a dark, dingy room drinking cheap coffee thinking that I would do that. Is that a misconception or does that really go on in this world? Okay, so I created a signature program called Sober On Demand. And that is where it's one-on-one deep, like deep diving into the cause of the addiction, as opposed to going to a treatment setting or a 12-step meeting where you are sitting around telling your deepest, darkest secrets to strangers and hoping they can help you somehow sort through this when they have their own issues. So I've always, no, to me, it doesn't work. It's a 95% failure rate because 
first of all, how could I know what you're going through? And then if I'm not a trained professional, what advice could I really give you? And what, what advice am I really giving you to the bottom of these problems? Now, mm. of course, it's the one thing about the 12 steps that I like is the peer concept where you can go anywhere in the world and have a cup of coffee with somebody and just hang out. That's great. But they're damaged people helping damaged people as opposed to saying to a professional, this is what's going on. And as a professional, we can sit back and say, okay, let me dissect all this stuff for you. Let me prioritize the things we need to talk about and then find out how we're going to fix it and give you good, solid suggestions on how to fix the problems. Mm, makes sense. Makes sense. As I was writing some notes for this podcast and just doing a little bit of homework and, and research about what I could talk about with you here. One of the things that kept popping up for me, and I've just got it in my little notebook here in front of me, was the word adversity. And I feel like each and every human being on the planet, and anybody that's listening to this podcast or watching this video right now, understands what adversity feels like. They understand intuitively what that word means. And we all face adversity in our lives. And I think that addiction is a special kind of adversity there. And I really couldn't it was quite hard for me to, to see the difference between adversity and addiction. And I wanted to hear from you, like there's no delineation there because an addiction to something, whatever that is, is huge adversity in your life. And that, that is something that's so encompassing and overwhelming that it feels like you can never get past it. So I'm interested to hear from you. Like the first thing obviously is to identify that you've got that problem and those challenges and then reach out to somebody for help. But, what can people do if they're on the very cusp of, oh my God, I've got a problem and they haven't reached out to anybody yet? Right. So what I tell people is reach out and ask. Um, if you can just ask for help and let somebody just assess your situation to see what we can do to help you, that's the start. And don't assume that your problem is too big to handle or that there's something wrong with you. Everybody has a vice. Everybody has something that they do too much of. And it may be good, it may be bad. So I tell everybody, let's take a look at the whole thing. Let's see what we can do to help you. And let's figure out how bad is the problem really? Is it something that's causing you detriment or is it something that can be fixed quickly? Is it a simple solve? You know, what's going on there? Just ask, ask for help and have someone just assess it with you and then go from there. And, and that takes a lot because your ego gets in the way of, especially for a guy, um, I, yep. I don't know about, I can't speak for everybody. All I can do is really speak for myself. But my anecdote is that, you know, I, I suffered like PTSD, not really PTSD, more anxiety from something that happened to me. Like I had a parachute malfunction, right? And something happens with a chemistry in your brain when something like that happens. It's like an accident type thing. And I was all right. Obviously, I'm, I'm sitting here, but I, I had... I had this like, I'd just be by myself, minding my own business, driving my car or sitting somewhere and I'd have this like massive rising anxiety and these emotions and feel like I just like ugh, had to come out and I'd tear up and be like, Mah! and freak out about it. Big tough paratrooper didn't tell nobody, of course. Um, kept it all to myself and self-helped myself to, to the solution. And really, I should never have done that. But my ego was just so far in the way that I was never going to put my hand up and ask anybody for help. So I was actually pretty embarrassed to be honest with you. Well, of course, and that's huge. Men are supposed to be tough, right? They're supposed to fix problems. They're solutions. And you're, you're a paratrooper, right? So you are military. You are the ultimate fixer. Mm. You can't possibly have anything wrong with you. You'd be surprised how many first responders in military that I work with 
you know, people that are, are police officers and EMTs, doctors that are addicted to something or have what we call a problem, you know, PTSD problem or an issue. So it's nothing wrong with you. It's just a mindset that men are supposed to be stronger than their problem. Women are considered weak. It's okay for women to ask for help, you know, but men don't ask for help. If you can't reach the bread on the top shelf at Walmart, men don't ask for help. They go climb up there and, and take a stick and knock the bread down. So it's very different. And I tell everybody, every single one of us has something we need help with. And we've always been a tribe mentality. So you always think, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. So if everybody in the village, per se, helped each person, there wouldn't be these problems. So if someone said to you, okay, there's a trick to PTSD. Every time you have a flashback, you have to neutralize the feeling. There's an actual way to make the feeling neutral. So it wasn't scary and terrifying. And they teach you that. Guess what? When you're driving down the road and the anxiety hits, you know exactly how to neutralize the anxiety and it doesn't happen again. But you have to ask for help first so you can get those tools. You know, it's funny, like just hearing you say that and I'm positioning myself back all those years ago thinking, if I just had asked and somebody said just what you said, I'd say, well, what's the trigger to stop that? You go, I'll do this, this and this. I go, okay. I probably never would have suffered. Yeah. And the, I guess the lesson and the reason I'm sharing that is because, you know, I like to, to share my life experience. That's what this podcast is about. And hopefully the people that are listening to this are getting something out of it. And if you're feeling like I was like the big tough paratrooper that you can't talk about something, because I know there's a lot of men that listen to this podcast, you can go out there and, and get some help and don't be embarrassed and don't let your ego get in the way of what it is that you do. Because the key point in all of that is you're not alone, right? Exactly. And as long as you can ask for help, everybody out there wants to help you. If you think about that, everybody wants to be helpful. They don't want to be hurtful. So if you need something and you ask for help, you will get help. And if the person doesn't have the answer, they'll say, you know what, try this or try this or talk to this person. Somebody out there has the answer that you seek. So you shouldn't be scared to say, hey, do you have an answer for this or can you make a recommendation? Yeah, beautifully said, beautifully said. I wanted to ask you, um, did you do you have any vices yourself? Of course. My, my addiction was food. So my thing was I would eat and eat and eat and eat until I involuntarily vomited because that's what I was doing. I was stuffing my feelings down. And then from there, I was hooked on diet pills. So then it was I could eat whatever I wanted and then take a couple pills and bam, you know, look good. So I had to get rid of those things and I had gone to meetings. I had gone to an Overeaters Anonymous meeting and a Narcotics Anonymous meeting and it didn't work for me because they were opposite. In OA, there's no food. When you go to NA, there's coffee, there's sugar, there's food, there's cigarettes, everything I like. I'm like, I can't, this doesn't make sense. So I actually ended up in a yoga class with a friend of mine who was in recovery for alcohol. And the yoga teacher said, I'm going to teach you how to get sober on a mat. I'm like, okay, whatever. Roll my eyes. Can't touch my toes. Don't care. And bam, he started teaching me how to control my breathing and how to use the mat as a way to get rid of my emotions. And every time I wanted to eat, I would do a sun salutation. And that became 10 sun salutations. And then it became go to the gym. You want to eat, go to the gym first. And next thing you know, I'd go to the gym. And I started trading healthy exercise for the food. And I started to realize every time you're stressed out, you go to the gym. It's a healthy alternative. Now, you're not going three, five, six, seven times a day. But if you go once a day or twice a day, that's okay. And that's sort of how I got around it. Yeah, very nice. Yeah, and, and you tell that story beautifully in your book, I Married a Junkie. And um, it's quite funny in some of the parts where there's cake everywhere on the dog on the walls and all that sort of stuff. I, I like that. But, you know, it's, it's funny, but it's not funny 
at the same time. And it's, and it's beautifully said. I've, I've, as I was reading that yesterday and I was going through that part of the, the book, what it does, and just hearing you explain it again, it reminded me of some of the, the reading that I've been doing recently in and around um, neuroplasticity. And for the people listening, you would have heard that before neuroplasticity and what does that mean? And your brain's not plastic. What the hell are you talking about? But the connections in your brain are based around the habits that you have. So if you habitually do something, those connections that you have are usually pretty much the same. So when you see a picture of a brain scan and somebody's thinking about a certain thing, it lights up the same part of your brain all of the time. And at its essence, I never really knew this until I was kind of listening to these audio books and learning some more about it. Neuroplasticity says that you're able to fire different parts of your brain to learn new neural pathways, to create new habits, to do new things. And then as I was, because I've been reading and studying that in the last week or so, then I read your book and then you were talking about, you go to these meetings and they're not really working for you because they're polar opposites. But then you go onto a yoga mat and you like roll your eyes, but you're actually creating new neural pathways in your brain. So there's a physiological thing that's happening there as well as like in your, in your mind, it's all happening in your brain, of course, but in your mind and your conscious mind, but in your subconscious mind, you're having that physiological change happening there. And that's why you're able to break through, right? Right. And it takes 21 days for that to stick. So I tell everybody, that's great, you went to yoga one time. Go 21 days in a row, and then you're going to see change. And everyone goes, oh, my God, I have to do it for 21 days. Yes, your brain takes 21 days to latch on and go, this is a new activity. I like this. And then it replaces your old activity with that new activity because now it's a habit. Mm -hmm. And your brain says, I like this. Plus, exercise boosts, boosts serotonin and dopamine. So if you think about it, if you're depressed or you're sad or you're you know, anxious, your serotonin and dopamine is dropping. You want to bring that up. And there's a few ways naturally to do that. And exercise is one of them. I'll tell all my clients, do 25 squats before you reach for whatever addiction you have. And they look at me and they say squats. And I say, yes, because that boosts your serotonin and dopamine. Mm -hmm. And then after you do that, you may not want that drink or that drug or whatever it is you're doing out there. Tell me what you think of this in, in all of that neuroplasticity stuff that I've been reading. I, like I, I read it all and I'm sort of thinking, yeah, that's really interesting. That's, that's really good. But how? And in, in there, they say that your brain has three, there's three ways that you can do it really easily. And it's about mindfulness really is what it is, is if you're about to do something that you're trying to break the habit of, or you're trying to get better at something, the first thing is awareness. Hey, I'm about to do that. And you stop yourself and then you ask yourself. So they use awareness, intention and action. So I'm aware that I'm about to do something. Does that, does that line up with the intention that I've set for myself previously? Or what is the intention of what it is that I'm about to do, and then you take action on it. And the awareness, intention, and action is a way that you can create those new neural pathways. Do you teach something similar to that to your clients? I do. I actually have them do a no sugar exercise because a lot of people say, well, I don't get this whole addiction thing. You know, why can't you have one drink or whatever? And I have them all go sugar free. And if I'm teaching, it's 24 hours. If it's a client, I ask for a week. And day one, they're great. They're like, this is awesome. It's new. So this is the new neuroplasticity, right? I'm going to do something new. My brain likes that. Okay, great. Day one, they do it. Day two, they're like, okay, I'm great until they go to have their morning coffee. Now they realize they can't have sugar. Now it's awareness. So one of two things happens. They wake up and they're automatically just dumping the sugar in and they're not aware or they stop and they go, crap, I can't have sugar. This sucks. And then their entire day goes into a spiral because they can't have the one thing they're used to having. Mm. And either way, their brain is creating a new memory. 
their brain is going, okay, you didn't have any awareness because you're on autopilot or wait a minute, here's the awareness and now you're stuck in the negative because you realize I can't have that. So then I have the discussion with them that you have to take the time to make the change. You have to be aware of everything you do and everything you put in your body. If you're going to mindlessly drink and you say, well, I want one glass of wine and next thing you know, you've had 10, you've lost awareness. You just started drinking and went down the rabbit hole. So everything has to be done with intention. And when you start doing that, your brain starts to kick on at a heightened awareness. And it says, I'm going to learn this new thing and I'm going to really enjoy this new thing because it's creating new memories and new pathways. It's really interesting because it doesn't matter how old or how young you are. The, the, mm-hmm. same, the same thing is true. And the way you describe it with, oh my God, the whole day is going to end because I don't get to have my morning coffee. You know, before I sat down at this podcast, I went and made a cup of coffee and I did exactly what you're just talking about. Exactly that. I went to put a spoonful of sugar in it and I went, no, hang on. Yep. I, said, I, said, I said I was going to stop doing that. Now stop it. Yep. I, had, I had the awareness and the intention and then the action was, no, I, I, didn't, I drank my coffee without sugar in it. It tasted just fine. It's, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Probably don't want to drink as many cups of coffee because it's not as sweet as what it is. And I'm not addicted to the caffeine. I think I'm addicted to the sugar in the coffee. That's what the four coffee a day habit is. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting because that's true. Most people aren't addicted to the caffeine. They're addicted to sugar. Mm-hmm. And I always say, would you like some coffee with your sugar? Because usually it's like five or six teaspoons of sugar. And then they put the creamer in there and I'm like, you don't even have coffee at this point. It's just sugar creamer that tastes like Bailey's Irish cream. I mean, where is the actual coffee? Now you've completely ruined it for me. I'm not drinking coffee at all. <laughs> That's how it is. That's how it is. Hey, I want to move on from that. And thank you for sharing all of that, by the way. It's, um, it's really useful information and it helps a lot, especially for someone like me that I, I don't really think that I have. You haven't asked me. I'm surprised you haven't asked me as the addiction coach on the other side. Do I have any vices? I hate asking that question because it puts you on the spot. And if you do, you don't, have, you don't want to answer me. So if you'd like me to ask, I would be more than happy to ask. Ask, go, ask. Do you have any vices? Distraction. Ah, okay. Massively, Pro- massively distracted. Distraction like procrastination because there's something that has to be done or distraction like, oh, there's the pink squirrel and all of a sudden you're checking out pink squirrels for two days. Pink squirrels, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so I've got a really good business and business is going really well and it's very automated and things are tracking along nicely and it's all doing what it's supposed to do and because things are really good in the business like that I'm very tempted to go oh look at that course that just dropped in my email hey hey babe I should do this course check this out and she's like listen mate just concentrate on what you're concentrating on and keep doing <laughs> what you're doing because that course over there is not going to move you any closer to this goal over there over here and I find myself pretty distracted by all those sorts of things. And I think part of it is this podcasting community that I'm in and I'm part of and I'm a hub for, I have so many incredible people like yourself that I want to go and learn more about that. And I want to learn more about that. And I want to learn more about that, but you can't do it all. And that, that is a bit of a vice that I definitely do have. Well, it's interesting because you're a connector. So you're able to like sit in the center and learn just a little bit about everything as opposed to having to go down the whole track and go, I have to be a master at that, Mm, which is nice. A lot of people would trade places with you because we don't have the time to learn anything new. We're so busy with our clients and our business and what have you. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Is it a bad thing being distracted like that? I wouldn't call that distracted. I would call that learning different things and being excited about life. If it's affecting your business, then I would say you're definitely distracted. 
I don't think it affects my business, but it definitely pulls my focus away from the things that I shouldn't be doing. So that that's where it is, is a problem, but you, you're quite right. I am excited by life. I'm excited by learning. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. Very nice. Very nice. So I wanted to ask you about your books because you've written a couple of them. The first one we talked about, I married a, a junkie and that's a deeply, deeply, deeply personal story. And, and from me to you, thank you for sharing that because I don't know anybody that's suffered or been through the same thing as what your partner has. And I think that he did suffer. I think that's an accurate description, certainly from my perspective. And you on the other side, sticking by him like that is an incredible love story. And um, it's such a beautiful, you have some beautiful sentiments throughout that. And I really, I really enjoyed that. I don't know what it was. It's like, I don't know if you, the bookshelf behind me there, there's a, there's half a dozen books there that I'm in the middle of reading all of them at once. And they're all war stories, right? As a veteran, I love a good war story. And that's what I'm reading about. So reading something about relationships and addiction and how you guys engage with each other was hugely different for me and really, really personal as well. And I enjoyed that. How, how long did it take you to put something together like that? We talked about it for a year and we started doodling and writing things. And then we took a full year and actually wrote that. So it was, it was, he wrote it a lot faster than I did because for him, it was just like, you know, spitting it out. For me, it was a little tougher. It was a little bit more cathartic because I had to go back and relive all that stuff that I didn't like. So it was a little bit, took a little bit longer. Excellent. And what, what would you say to somebody that was thinking about doing something like that? I think that I want to write a book. I want to put it out there. I want to make something happen. And if, if they're teetering on the edges, how would you get them to go all in and go and do something like that? I say just do it because when I was done, it was cathartic. It got all that stuff out of my head. I'm like, you know what? It's on paper. And then the title came about because of the hater that we had that said, you know, how could she be as good at her job if she married a junkie? And once we did that, the haters kind of got quiet because all the stuff in that book, they kept saying, oh, well, her husband has a criminal record and he did this and he did that. And they actually put my information to his criminal record and tried to make it look like it was me. And once you put it all out there, I was like, you know what? You guys have nothing now. It's out there and it's making money. So what can I say? So it was pretty neat to be able to just do it. Very nice. Very nice. Well said. Well said. And, I, and I've interviewed a lot of authors on this show and they all say a similar thing. Stop thinking about it and just, just get on with it and do it because it's a start that stops most people. Yeah. And I did it in a very unique way. We, we actually started writing it, like typing it and it wasn't working. So I found somebody that would transcribe audio. Mm. And I actually dictated chapter by chapter by chapter. And then they transcribed it. And then I could sit down and move the sections around. And it just made it so simple for me to get it out there. Yeah, I've had a lot of clients in my business do exactly the same thing. They go on half a dozen podcasters and we formulate a strategy for them. And we, what we do is we work usually through FAQs. What are the top questions people ask you in your business? And we, we work out a way to blend that into the, to the digital stage that they're on with a podcast. Go and get it transcribed. You put half a dozen episodes together like that, get a ghostwriter to tidy it up and, and they've got a book really quickly, mm -hmm. efficiently, um, no stress as well. And you kind of have fun in the process because being on interviews like this is always fun. Oh yeah, this is easy. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Got to make it easy for yourself. Otherwise you won't do it. Tell us about the other one, the Recovery Coach Workbook. I saw that in Amazon as well. Saw that on your, on your website. That looked like a really important document you got going on there as well. That is the first ever of its kind, and it's for the coaches to give their clients. So it's 45 exercises for somebody to go from, I'm just getting sober, to how do I figure out my purpose in life, my passion, how do I get rid of the people in my life that are non-productive, and go that direction. So that's kind of, kind of what we use in the school. Um, I don't think you've seen this one. This one launches this week. Did you see this one? Principles to tap 
into the wealth inside of you. No, I didn't say that one. I didn't come across that. Aha. So this comes out this week. It's the seven key principles to tap into the wealth inside you. And it's all about what's the next step in life, like creating purpose and passion, finding a roadmap, jumping, just doing it and getting rid of your limiting belief system. Because when I work with people in addiction, I'm not treating their addiction. I'm treating the root cause, which is usually, I don't know who I am. I don't know which direction I'm going. And I'm holding on to these limiting beliefs from childhood that I was told I can't do something. Therefore, it's easier for me to do drugs and numb out than actually have to go out there and get that stuff done. And I started doing this stuff with my clients and coaching. And then I decided I'm going to put this in a book because this is so helpful for people to get past whatever you're stuck on. So this one comes out this week. Does it help reinforce your methodologies as you write them down? It must because you're forced to, I'm kind of like all over the shop with this particular point. I've got five different ways of delivering it. And then you've got to get really super succinct when you put it into a book, right? You do. And the unique thing is this is exactly the process I go through with my clients. Every client that comes to me with addiction, the first thing I ask them is, are you happy? And the answer is always no. And then I say, why aren't you happy? And it's one of many things. It's either I hate my life. I hate that I'm married with kids and I hate my job or I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, my dad told me to be an accountant and I'm an accountant and I'm 35 and I don't want to be an accountant. I want to be an artist. I'm like, great, let's become an artist. And they look at me and they're like, how is that going to get me off of drugs? And I say, if you get up in the morning and you go, I want to be an artist, you're not going to use drugs because you're excited, right? If you wake up and go, oh, I got to go to work today. It's only two o'clock and I still have three more hours you're going to continue to use drugs because you hate your life. So when I come in and I get to the bottom of it and I say, let's fix the bottom of it, the root cause of why you're behaving this way. And we do that. It's amazing. The transformation that happens. I love it. I love it. Well, we're going to have to get those links into the show notes here for you as well. So what's the book called again for the people listening? The new book is the seven key principles to tap into the wealth inside you. And that'll be out on Amazon. And I married a junkie is already out there so they can pop on and get that. Awesome. And if you're listening to this, just take a little peek at your phone and right there in the show notes are going to be the links to Kelly's uh, links in Amazon there as well. And if you're watching on YouTube, just scroll down, they'll be right there. By the time this is out and live, those things will be out and live as well. So we're all good. Kelly, I want to, as we come to the end of the podcast here and we're nudging up against an hour, I wanted to put you into the podcasters go all in hot seat. You ready? I'm ready. Couple I've been questions. looking forward to this. This is nothing too serious. It's just completely <laughs> random. And I, and I love to ask these questions, especially from people that are not Aussies, uh, that are from different parts of the world. Tell me, the first one I got is, what's, the, what's your favorite holiday destination? Oh, that's a tough one. My favorite place to go is Laguna Beach, California, just because it's like my manifesting spot. And I like to watch the sunset <laughs> on the water. And I'm in Miami, so we have sunrise. Um, that would be my favorite one of all the places I've been watching the sunset over the water. Same here in Sydney. Cause we're on the East coast. We see the sun rise. We don't see the sunset. And in summertime, uh, when the weather kind of calms down a little bit, I get out of my paddleboard just out the front here on the bay and I paddle out. You paddle probably two clicks out, two kilometers out. And I can sit on my paddleboard and watch the sun set as well. Nice. And because there's nobody out there. The only reason you'd be out there was if you're on a boat and sometimes there's heaps of boats out there, but I can sit out there on my paddleboard by myself and just watch the sunset and paddle back in at twilight. It's not that far. It sounds like a long way, but it's not far on a paddleboard. And it's just Very beautiful nice. watching the sunset over the water like that, right? Right. Very cool. Very nice. Very nice. All right. Next one. What's a, what's a skill that you haven't yet mastered? 
Paddleboarding would be one of them. Oh, Surfing on. would be Come on, even in Miami, for heaven's sake. There's no excuse. <laughs> even with all my yoga training, the water here, the only time I want to go is like January because it's not blazing hot. And then the water's too cold. So it's like, and then I have a fear of sharks. And then I have a fear of drowning. So we put all that in there. I'm like, you know what? I'll watch y'all paddleboard from the, from the beach. But that would be on my, I need to master this. I need to at least do it without the fear of dying. Yeah, that's a, it's, it's a good thing. I've, out here on the, on the bay here in Cronulla where I live, there's so many sharks. I see sharks all the time. If you oh, knew gee. how many sharks were in the water, you'd never go in the water at the beach. It was like, it's, it's crazy. I, um, and some weird things happen when you're out on the water by yourself, especially like in the biggest swells. Sometimes the swells are so big, you can't see where the land is when you're in the, in the dip of the wave. And there's been a couple of times over the years, I, I sort of like look down in the water and I'm kind of, because you're by yourself, there's no one to say, hey, did you see that? I've looked down in the water and gone, it's a penguin. There's penguins <laughs> in the water here. <laughs> it's like fairy penguins swimming around fishing from the national. Uh-huh. But I'm by myself and I tell people there's penguins out there. They're like, what are you talking about, you idiot? There's no penguins in Sydney. <laughs> yeah, there is. Apparently there is. And then every now and then you, you see some sharks and you see whales and um, dolphins all the time, which is really cool. I've had dolphins come right up like a meter away from me, dive in the water and swim with the dolphins out two kilometers off the shore by myself. It's pretty, pretty special experience. You can hear them in the water when you're in a water. That's neat. They're all the reasons to get out on your paddleboard. See, I was good till you said shark. You had me, I was good. I'm like, okay, penguins, dolphins. I can do it with the whales. That sounds great, shark. Uh-oh. Shark, well, we'll, we'll wait. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I got circled by a great white um, just out the front here. Is a, my paddleboard's 14 feet long and the great white was bigger than my paddleboard. And I knew it was a great white. As, as I was paddling, um, I could see, and, and you don't realize, you think the first thing that you see is these, are their dorsal fins but their tails sit out of the water as well as they swim across the surface. And the tail of the shark was out of the water. It's higher than the dorsal fin, of course. And I looked and I thought, far out, that is a big shark. And it came like right next to me and it was sort of on its side. That's how I knew it was a, a white pointer because you could see the white belly as it was coming past. And it circled me like around my right-hand side and then it, it came up again and it circled me again and then just swam off. And my big paddle board that normally feels as big as a boat felt like a little paddle pop stick. I'm like, don't fall in the water, my God. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, that's it. I am no, no, no paddle boarding, no surfing. It is now shelved and that is your fault. <laughs> well, well, that's just proof that sharks don't matter, right? Even white pointers, they're, not, they're just coming for a little look-see. They're not going to bite anything. It's just no, no issue. It's not a problem. Unless he was starving and then he would have taken the chunk out of your paddle board. He definitely didn't look like he was starving. That's for sure. <laughs> he was like a big, big animal. It's like, kind of like seeing... Um, it was scary at first, like, oh my God, because it was coming straight for me, like literally straight for me. And then as it swam past me and I kind of like looked at it in the water, I thought, I was like, wow, that is like incredible. It's like when you see, I don't know if you've ever seen, if you've ever patted a tiger or a lion at a zoo where you can do that, like you pat the things and you go, yeah, nice kitty. Nice, <laughs> <laughs> nice kitty. Single tear me to shreds, like uh -huh. all of the thing, right? And same as a, as a shark as it's swimming around me. I was sort of looking at it going, wow, that's like, what an incredible creature. And then it swam around again for another look. And I was like, I wasn't really kind of scared of it. I just didn't want to fall in the water, of course, be in the water with it. But it could have bumped me off my board, like just with a little flick of its tail or something. But all good, all good. <laughs> Come on, Kelly. Come on, Kelly. No. All right, last uh, question for the Go All In Podcasters Hot Seat. What's the very best piece of business advice that you've ever received? 
best piece of business advice? Do it first, ask for permission later. That would be the best piece of business advice because if you sit around and think, is this gonna work, this might work, let me figure it out, let me plan it out, somebody else is already doing it, yeah. that by the time your idea comes out, it's already on the market and being marketed and sold. You now have a competitor. So do it and see what happens and if it doesn't work, shift your gears and do something else, but put it out there and put 110% behind it and usually whatever you you put out there will run. It will work. Yeah, that's beautifully, beautifully said. I, I always say in business something similar. If you if you're remaining stationary and procrastinating, the enemy are maneuvering on you. And if you don't get going and get on with it, they will maneuver on you and outflank you, and and uh, you will lose out and you'll lose your market share. So that's uh beautifully, beautifully said. All right, Kelly. Well, thank you so much for sharing your insights and your wisdom and your many years of experience. If people want to connect with you and want to find out more about you, what's the best way for them to do that? They can find me at my first name, my last name, calliestis.com, which is probably the easiest website, or theaddictionscoach.com or theaddictionsacademy.com. Both are plural S's. Or they can call us at 1-800-706-0318. And I am all over social media, first name, last name, calliestis. Pretty easy to find. Well, once again, folks, if you're looking for those links, just take a little peek at your show notes or scroll down here in YouTube and you'll see all of them right there. So you're not going to have to go poking around. Thank you, Dr. Kelly, for coming on your show. Really, really appreciate that. I hope you enjoyed the Go All In experience. I did. Thank you for having me. Awesome. All right. If you've got a message or some feedback for our show, you can reach out to me via the Go All In socials at any time. We can send me an email. Just visit goallin.com.au to find out more. Well, that just about wraps it up for the show today. So whatever it is that you're working on, whatever you're doing, get busy, get to it, and go all in. I'll see you next time.
control my body, can't control my body, 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 body. body. 